Podcast. The motto for 2 Corinthians is, when I am weak, then I am strong. The Holy Spirit is using the Apostle Paul's troubles to show us that God is faithful, not only to see us through, but to use our difficulties in powerful ways. Now let's join Pastor Ross with another message from the series entitled, Strength Through Weakness. So boasting, we've been talking about boasting here in these chapters. Boasting comes so easy, uh, and it begins in us quite at an early age, uh, you'll recall, right? You know how it goes. My dad is strong, you would say. And the other kid says, my dad is stronger. That's right. My house is big. Well, my house is. Yeah, I can run fast. Well, I can run And it goes on and on and on. It's born out of insecurity and pride for sure. It's kind of the way that we were born, conceived in sin, as the psalmist says. And so, yeah, it's childish. It's part and parcel of being a broken human being uh, to be proud like that or to try to justify ourselves by... Uh, pretending in our minds that we're so much better than everybody else. Childish, yes, but unless you've received the Holy Spirit and had a new birth, uh, really, in in all likelihood, you're going to carry on that childish, foolish behavior into adulthood uh, for sure, to be proud and boastful. Of course, we do it in more subtle ways, right? Uh, I mean, we have... You know, somebody would say, oh, my daughter uh, went to UC, you know, and then somebody would say, oh, how nice. My son graduated from Harvard, you know, (laughs) Uh, or it goes on and on kind of like that. I think you get the picture, proud and boastful, uh, comparing ourselves among ourselves, which the Bible says is uh, not wise, okay? Now, this is something that the false teachers are doing, and they've become experts in. They're the poster children for all of this kind of bravado and boasting. So, Paul, uh, this is how it all began and why it's the subject here at the end of Second Corinthians. Paul Uh, has planted a church in southern Greece, and he comes and goes. He's a missionary evangelist, and while he's on one of his adventures there for the Lord, uh, some wannabe poser-type fake missionary guys come in from Jerusalem, um, and and they move in and sweet-talk the Corinthians uh, into uh, accepting them as their newfound leaders. And they want to enjoy the the benefit of a turnkey congregation, as I've been calling it, and uh, enter into the the fruitful labors and blessings and the hard work of the Apostle Paul. And uh, their only problem is is that Paul the Apostle is still connected to them. They consider him, for the most part, their pastor. 
So what they have to do, these false teachers, along with a vocal minority of those who had gotten their feelings hurt with the corrections of the Apostle Paul. So there was a small group that kind of sided with these false teachers against the Apostle Paul. And their task was to undermine the trust and the love that the congregation had by making all sorts of accusations against him. And here's the deal. At the same time of accusing the Apostle Paul, they were exalting themselves with all kinds of boasting, boasting about their credentials and boasting about their their ministerial um, supernatural powers and their, their wonderful Jewish lineage and their certifications and their awards and their spiritual visions. And they were comparing and accusing Paul the Apostle, saying, well, what does he have? Uh, we, we, we have credentials from Jerusalem. What does he have? And all of that. And so they got into kind of a boasting war there. And uh, the Corinthians fell hook, line, and sinker for all the boasting. And so now it's time for Paul to answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. That's Proverbs uh, chapter 26 and verse 5. Lest he be wise in his own eyes simply means you put him in his place um, to help him realize he's not as smart as he thinks he is. And so sometimes that you have to do that, and this is the time. We pick up at verse 16 of chapter 11. I'll project it on the screens for you. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool so that I may do a little boasting of myself. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face too my shame, I admit, okay? We were too weak for that. They accused the apostle of being weak and timid. So he says, guilty as charged. We're weak in the regard that we didn't have the arrogance and the strength to abuse you as they are doing to you. So let's talk about this first uh, paragraph. We begin tonight with a disclaimer. Paul's disclaimers, and some feisty, ironic statements there that definitely show that there's um, uh, been some hurt incurred on the part of the apostle. So let's begin by taking a a closer look. Um, He's really saying the following portion of this letter is not how apostles talk. It is not how the Lord would talk. He said... I came to you in the beginning with the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, and you mistook that for weakness, right? And so he says, well, now I'm going to change my tone, and I'm going to uh, accommodate to what you're used to here with these false teachers. So um, he he says in verse 16, he says... um, I'm going to play the game. I'm going to stoop to their stupidity. But just let let me tell you, verse 16, this is dumb. This isn't me. 
uh, I'm play acting now. So he says, don't take my word, don't take me for a fool. If you read this, I, I'm pretending, I'm playing a game. So don't take me as a fool. But if you think this is how I really think, then I do ask you to simply indulge me for a chapter or two. And he also says, or if you think, if you're thinking, well, Paul, if it's so foolish, why are you going to do it? That's another meaning of this. He's saying, well, just hold on. Let me make a point, because by stooping to their stupidity, I'm going to show you how stupid it really is to put confidence in yourself like that. Self-confident boasting is just a big, fat waste of time. Because we preach not ourselves. We preach Christ Jesus the Lord. So verses 18 and 19 in your text, he says, I can, if I must, play their silly game. And so he says uh, he's going to temporarily depart from the standard operating procedures of ministerial protocol to take a little moment uh, to play the one-upping one another game. And, and here's what he's saying. Since the world, this is the way the world is out there, and you seem to like it. You bought into it. And the only way to communicate to you is sort of to get down on that level, even though it's not wise or smart, uh, and there's nothing worthwhile about boasting about your credentials like that and talking about yourself in such glowing terms. But, uh, but if I'm... if I'm desperate to get hold of you and to win you back. So that def desperate measure will be, verse 18, then I will reluctantly boast too. He says, you've grown accustomed to, you've grown used to self-advertising and name-dropping and grandstanding, and you consider it wise. There in your text, he says, and you think it, that's the way to do it. So he says, I'll reluctantly play the game to make a point. And his point will be, it's so what a genius move. It's going to show how ridiculous the false teachers are. And he's going to uh, really bring home the truth uh, by coming down to their level here. So verses 19 through 21 are sad. He says, listen, you guys, I'm going to play the game. How accommodating you've become. He says, you gladly put up with fools, right? So he says, be patient with me because you're used to dealing with guys who love to talk about themselves. So he says, uh, you happily listen to their puffed up prating. Prating means the pointless babbling on about themselves. You gladly eat it all up. You're all ears. So it makes you sort of feel, here's the deal. You've bought into all of their bragging and boasting uh, because by associating with it, you feel better about yourself. So you feel wise and enlightened. And so... He says, your open-mindedness and your tolerance apparently has no limits, he says. Boy, you put up with a lot. And then in one verse, he manages to get five ways they're being abused by these guys they're putting up with. And so and there in verse 20, he says, you easily submit to these intruders who are aggressive and authoritarian. Number one, 
you put up, you passively stand by and let them enslave you. In other words, they changed the, the theology of salvation by grace and robbed them and made it about salvation by works. And so they brought legalism in. And, and, they, and, and he says, you gladly put up with that. You could have grace, but you gladly put up with guys who, who brought in a, lot, a bunch of do's and don'ts. Uh, secondly, he says, you put up really nicely with guys who exploit you. The word there means to devour you. So with guys who come in and eat all your food and, and live and take over your guest room, and these guys were, were just exploiting them and mistreating them in greedy ways like that. And he says, but you, you take it. And then he says, you gladly let them take advantage of you. That, means, uh, that word means to be used. They're using you. And, 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 and instead of pushing back, you tolerate it. And he says, he goes on to say, you, you put up with people who push themselves forward. That means they inflate their own importance as a means to deflate you. But you're okay with that, he says. And you're also okay when they slap you in the face. That really means to treat in an insulting and condescending way. So they treat you like little ignorant babies who don't know anything, and, and you guys put up with it. You're like Satan's little punching bag. And the question would be, why? Why do Christians gullibly uh, eat up false doctrine and all kinds of things that enslave them and exploit them, and they're sending their money all over the place, and, and they let people take advantage of them, spiritually speaking? Why why do we sit by and not fight back? That's a good question. So in, in biting irony, he says, I confess, yes, I was too weak, my personality too timid uh, to use those kinds of tactics uh, of the opposition that your so-called super apostles use. Now he says, shall I get to my list of boasting? Verses 21b. All right, here we go. Okay, so what these guys, anyone else, what they dare to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, mind you. I also dare to boast about, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Oh, by the way, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more of a servant of Christ than they are. I have worked much, much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and Naked. So we go from the disclaimer now to the boasting. 
let the dumbness begin, as we say. He says, it's time he's been putting it off. He's been saying, heads up, I'm going to be boasting, I'm going to be boasting. But he keeps digressing to other subjects and defending his ministry. But now it's time to do the distasteful task that he's been avoiding. So he says, heads up. He says, uh, now, now, take a look at this. Paul's list is going to differ. Although he's going to go toe-to-toe with them about some of the strengths, mostly the list is about, really, weakness and failure and frustrations. And it's going to showcase instead of, wow, look at me, wow, look at God. And that's going to be the difference. He's going to start bragging about things that make him look bad and weak, that make God look faithful, strong, and loving, and kind. That's what he's going to do here. So so, uh, the false teachers have pulled the messianic Jewish card, and people still do it today, especially Christians, Christian Jewish people sometimes use the Messianic Jewish card. And somehow you sense that because they are a converted Hebrew, that there's just something, just a little bit of cut above the average Gentile Christian with no connection to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's exactly what the false teachers wanted. They wanted these Gentiles especially. These Gentiles in Corinth, They are ex-pagan idolaters of the worst kind. And so in come the Jews with certifications and genealogies. We're related to Jesus' family. We're related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from the scriptures and the Old Testament and the temple, we're those guys. And they intimidated those Corinthians who were Gentiles, it just means non-Jewish people, into thinking, wow, we've got credentials. And, and they denied, and they said, did Paul show you his paperwork? Yeah. Did he go to Ancestry.com? Did he do blood work up? <laughs> you guys even know. So he says, number one, they say, we are Hebrews. Verse 22 now, okay. They, what do they mean by that? They mean, we speak Hebrew, we're raised Jewish, all the customs, all the holy days, all the practices, all the rites, R-I-T-E-S, of being Jewish are mine and ours. And, and Paul says, la-di-da, me too. All right, then they go on to say, we're Israelites. The difference here would be we're born and bred, really. We're the chosen nation. Like Solomon prayed in his prayer, he said, Lord, who have you singled out from all the nations of the world to be your own inheritance like Israel? So they said, we're Israelites. And he says, la di so am I. So am I, me too. And then he says, they say, we're related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they're saying we have the ancestry. We have uh, a blood connection. We have genealogies to Abraham. And he says, me too. So what they were saying is that they had Jewish descent. They had Israeli citizenship. And they had a godly heritage back blood to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Paul says, check, check check. 
But the reason why Paul doesn't make a big deal about it is because Paul already told the Philippians, he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. You know, if anybody had confidence to say, well, I was a Hebrew, I was, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I, I, uh, I, I'm a, a part of the people of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And as to keeping the law perfect, I was a Pharisee. And he says, you know what? It was all garbage. He says, I count it all as garbage. That's why they're boasting about credentials that Paul says, I threw that in the trash a long time ago because if it gets in the way of you receiving Christ, it's all about being born again and receiving Christ. And he says, a true Jew is one inwardly, Romans chapter 2. And so the truth, that's what Paul says there. So on top of their Jewish pedigree, they were claiming, and on top of all of that, we serve Christ, wink, wink, because they're evil workers, and they just say they serve Christ. Okay, so verse 23, he says, uh, not only do I serve Christ, but I serve him to a greater extent than they do. By the way, to say something like that is to sound deranged. It's true. But to actually let it come out of your own mouth makes you sound like a madman. So it says, I'm going to speak the truth here and I'm going to go toe to toe because you respect what they're saying. You think it's wise, so I'll play the game. By the way, I'm a better servant than they are, even though I'm out of my mind to say that. So he goes on. He goes on. I kind of like it. He says, I, he says, He's served Christ in a greater extent because he suffered for Christ in a greater extent. And that's what's going to be the gist of this paragraph here. So he says, I, I worked harder. And so the commentators say, well, that put them in their place because those guys did not like to work. They elevated their privilege uh, and their status so that they could do less work and, and delegate out to everybody and so you have that and then he says I was imprisoned more frequently as you follow me in your verse there uh, they preached the gospel that didn't get them in trouble and the reason why they're not in prison is because they changed it to be less offensive and so they were preaching a more popular gospel and to avoid persecution and not rock the boat and so by the way, everything in the list that you're staring at right now had to have happened before Acts chapter 20. So it tells you a lot of things because Acts chapter 20 is the setting for the writing of the second uh, epistle to the Corinthians. It tells you a lot about the book of Acts is, is that Paul led a more colorful life than any of us will ever know because there's a lot missing because uh, we don't have... This information, as we walk through the, the, the difficulties, I'll point out what we know about and what we don't know about, all right? And so uh, verses 23 through 25, let's tackle the first part of that list then. I have it taken out for you. All right, so I already mentioned frequently imprisoned, but in Acts, you only have him in, in jail one time. 
So there's lots of other times that he was in prison and he's not yet to Jerusalem where he will go to jail and he's not yet to Caesarea where he'll go to jail and he's not yet to Rome where he'll go to jail. And he's already saying now, frequently imprisoned. And the book of Acts does not record that. Severely flogged, terrible. Uh, we don't know where that was. Exposed to death over and over again. We see a little about that, a little here and there in the book of Acts. Um, 40 lashes minus one, five times. We don't know where that happened. The synagogues did that. Remember Jesus said, uh, by the way, the synagogues are going to flog you and whip you. Here it is. But five times, and it's not in the book of Acts. There's a reason for that. Now, one writer pointed out the punishment that he is receiving is some of the punishment that he inflicted on Christians. Beaten with rods three times. We know of one time in the book of Acts. The other two we don't know. It was a Roman punishment in Roman colonies. You got out of line. They stretched you out and they took like wooden dowels and just thumped you all over your body. And he said, I got that three times. Then it goes on to say, stone and left for dead. We actually have that listed there in Acts chapter 14. Shipwrecked three times. This is before the shipwreck in Acts. Now, he's listed 18 journeys on sea in the book of Acts. So yeah, three shipwrecks. That's not so bad when you consider back then being on the ocean, going on a voyage. 18 voyages in his missionary journeys up to Acts 20. And so that's what Happen, he says three times. Malta, we haven't even gone to Malta yet. A day and a half floating in the ocean. That's pretty amazing. Now, really, the point is well, first of all, why are they not listed in the book of Acts? I'll tell you the straight up answer for that. The book of Acts is written by a gospel writer, Luke. He knows to tell the story about Jesus, not about the dramatic, inspiring life of the apostle Paul. It's not about Paul. But God managed to let us all hear about it and give Paul a shout out, but in such a, a, a different way uh, than uh, making the book of Acts all about uh, Paul's uh, wonderful uh, life of persevering all through all of this chaos and struggle. And so God is not unjust. He'll not forget your work or the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. And I just find it amazing that the book of Acts 4 goes telling you all this amazing stuff, but God managed to get it in there in the most ironic way. And so, and believe it or not, the half has not been told. When we see him and when we all are rewarded 
everybody is going to know the, the full unadulterated story. So picking up back at verse 26, so backwards now, back to where we were still with the list there. Very good. And, and so now he's going to go, he's gone to some, from some personal hardships. He's going to go to dangers and privations that he faced serving Christ as a missionary. Now, so he says uh, there in verse 26, follow along, always on the run, never get to settle down, never resting. Uh, you know, it's hard to travel these days in modern times, right? It can get wear and tear on you. Can you imagine an ancient times man alive? Uh, the three missionary journeys, uh, scholars say, were 10,000 miles on foot and at sea. 10,000 miles, 2,000 years ago. That was a big deal. And so he goes on to say now eight uh, sources of danger, right? The big danger here, danger there, danger everywhere thing. So he says, uh, crossing swollen rivers, danger from fending off robbers and thugs that, you, that used to prey on isolated travelers like that. Wild animals in the wilderness, when he, when he says rural areas, it's the wild animal problem. And in city, it was the mobs. That's what he's talking about. So he says, wherever I go, land or sea, danger from my own people, betrayal from false brothers, wolves in sheep's clothing, Judases all around, you know, people, other uh, of other nationalities other than Jews uh, don't want to hear the message of repentance and so he's persecuted their danger everywhere. And then he goes in verse 27, he says, and then there's this relentless um, deprivation. He says, uh, serving God, I haven't always had enough food. I've been hungry. I haven't had enough water. I've been thirsty. This is the Apostle Paul, writer of 13 New Testament epistles and planter of 20 New Testament churches. I haven't had enough food. I haven't had enough water. I've been hungry and thirsty and in shreds and exposed on top of the list. What? What do preachers like Joel Olstein say to that? This is the Apostle Paul. How can he live his best life now? That's the name of a best-selling book. It doesn't make any sense. And so one writer put it this way. The catalog of these woes portrays an apostle lacerated by beatings, shadowed by enemies, worn down by exposure and deprivation, clothed in rags and no place to lay his head. It also shows an apostle unbent by all the hardships in his devotion to Christ's cause and his calling to serve. And he's apparently doing a better job of it than the self-exclaimed super apostles who... Oh, they didn't go to bed hungry because they were exploiting the Corinthians. So they had a warm bed to, to sleep in. It wasn't their own. It was somebody in the Corinthian congregation who was extending them that kind of care. So Paul said, yeah, compare me to, to the super apostles. We're very different. 
aren't we? And so he goes on. Interesting, a new slide here, verses 28 to 30. He says, besides everything else, besides everything you just read, I face daily the pressure and my concern for all the churches. Who's weak and I don't feel weak? Who's led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? If I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. And so here we've gone from disclaimer to the boasting and now to the point here. And it's a surprise twist. It's a turning point that's going to continue into chapter 12 that we'll take a look at next uh, time that we're together. But really, he's going to say, I'm going to start boasting, you know what, about my weaknesses in verse 30. You take a look at that. And so he's saying, when I boast about being deprived, you can see his faithfulness. And when I boast about my times of trouble, you can see his deliverance. And when I boast about my times of danger, you can see his protection. And in times of assault, you can see his comfort and his restoration. So here's what the verses are saying. Look what God has done with an ordinary guy with a whole bunch of troubles like me. Look at what God can do with an ordinary life. And so uh, one writer summed up this, these few verses this way. He said, Paul's saying this, I've already made a fool of myself, boasting about myself. And he says, since you are all impressed by such boasting, that's why I did it. He says, the physical hardships that I've had to deal with are far beyond the pale of what anyone else can claim to have endured. Likewise, the, oh, and I have this. Uh, if you wouldn't mind putting it up, it's a quote. I've already made a fool of myself boasting about myself since you are all impressed by such boasting. The physical hardships that I've had to deal with are far beyond the pale of what anyone else has claimed to endure. Likewise, the emotional hardship I endure is equally great. Not only do I constantly worry about all the churches under my care, but I face daily the same types of spiritual weaknesses, vulnerabilities, and temptations that you all do. But I never give in to those things. So go back to the verses that we were just looking at, please. So he's saying, on top of all the struggles physically, then I have all of this over-the-top anxiety that I deal with, and the word there is to be pressed down and squeezed by the anxiety of all the churches and all the Christians that, that he's responsible for, right? And then he says, who is weak and I'm not weak? And who, who is led into sin? And don't you think that I have temptations too? That I have to die daily? He says, I buffet my body and make it my slave. Lest after preaching to others, I myself be disqualified. So he says, I, the word means the box. I beat my own body into submission. He's trying to say, I'm going to boast about not being a super self-controlled person. I'm so a moral straight arrow man and, and all of this that you would see on their resumes, how perfect they are and how problem-free and no drama and no chaos and no anything else. 
and said, how would you like to get a resume from a guy for a pastoral position that says, my life has been up and down chaos. I've had money problems. I've been hungry and thirsty and not enough clothes. I wear rags a lot. I've been tossed into prison frequently. I've been shipwrecked. My life goes all over the place. And then he says, not only that, but I've got spiritual struggles and temptations. I don't have it all together, but I have a God who's faithful to me, and it's all about him and the gospel that way. That's really kind of what's going on here for sure. So look at what God has done through little, old, trouble-prone, (laughs) poverty-stricken me, right? That's what he's saying. All right, let's finish up here. And then it's almost a PS here, like he forgot, and and it's really nice. It puts everything into place. He takes a little oath. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, Syria, the governor under King Aridas had the city of the Syrians guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. That's how he rounds out the chapter. A little P.S. here. I almost forgot this one, he says. Now, he's telling us this story because he's saying how it all began in the early days is really how it's always been. He says, I don't come crusading in like your super apostles on a bunch of horses, really dressed to the nines, smelling good, looking good with a pocket full of money. I don't do that. You know how I arrive in my destination where God wants me to call, uh, plant a church, I should say? I I arrive there because I'm running away from somebody chasing me. That's how it started. In Acts chapter 9, when Saul, the raging Pharisee, went in to arrest people in Damascus, Jews who became Christians, who fled the apostle Paul in Jerusalem for, uh, to leave the country and go to Syria, he caught wind of that and went after them into another country to hunt them down and arrest them. But the Lord knocked him off that horse and saved him. Then the tables were turned. And now what? Now he's in trouble, right? And so he starts preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And he gets in trouble from the Syrians. And so now they want to arrest him. And so he is lowered, hidden in a basket, and lowered outside of the wall to escape. So he's boasting about a humiliating experience where he's retreating as a fugitive. Well, where did he go from there? Well, he goes to the next city, and then he goes to the next city. How do you think he got to Corinth, to these people? He was in Philippi, where he was jailed and beaten, right? They escorted him out of the city there. He went to Thessalonica, and uh, a church started, and all the Jews from the synagogue left the synagogue and filled this little house church that Paul started. 
The Jews were so envious about that, they stirred up a mob, and the, this murderous mob in Thessalonica went into the house church looking for Paul, and didn't find Paul, but found Jason, the host, and drug him out with a few of the little deacon guys and pulled them down to City Hall and beat them looking for Paul. And so the brothers got a hold of Paul and said, they're going to kill you, man. We've got to get you out of town. So they took them and escorted them secretly by cover of night out of town. And guess where they ended up? In Corinth. They get to Corinth running away with no money, with, with fear and trembling, no clothes, just a shirt on their back, and they're fleeing the authorities. He says, that's why I came to you with fear and trembling. Remember that verse? Because he's on the run as a fugitive. Now the other guys come in, you know, and they say that we were credentialed and we're prim and proper and we preach this wonderful gospel. It never gets us into any trouble. And look at us. And look at him. And he says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And the reason you exist and you're going to heaven and you know the Lord is through the weakness and brokenness and the troubles of my life God used to bring me to you and exalt the gospel and the truth. Everything opposite from the altogether guys who have come in and tried to take you in the wrong direction. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for the truth. It sets our hearts free. And we look to you tonight to apply that truth so that we might be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.